0: Let's give of our tithes and our offerings. Um, so uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 8, page uh, 944 in your pew Bibles. So this week I had um, the awesome pleasure of going to a pastor's conference down in uh, Louisville. Not Louisville. Louisville. It's all caught right here. Louisville. And if you don't do it right, they'll correct you. And this conference was called Together for the Gospel. And it was held in the Yum Center down in uh, Louisville. And it had 12,000 people in attendance. 12,000 people in attendance. Uh, the vast majority was pastors and uh, church staff workers who were all gathered uh, together for the gospel. It was our opportunity to sing together. There was just one man playing piano for 12,000 individuals, and he didn't need a band. He did not need the lights and the the smoke machines and all that stuff. Bob Coughlin led worship in an absolutely beautiful way that stirred my heart and the hearts of 12,000 other participants. But more than that, I had uh, an opportunity to participate in the year's theme, which was called Distinct from the World. Uh, You know that the culture calls the church and every one of you to conform to its standards, right? You, you You watch TV long enough, you listen to the radio, you read any kind of media that's out there, it's all saying, come be like us. You should morph and be like the world. It's cool, it's sleek, it's sexy, it's, it's fun, it's exciting, it's thrilling. It'll change your world. But God calls us as a church and as individuals to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be, to dis, be distinct. And if we want to make a difference in our culture, in our world, my friends, we must be distinct. We must be holy, set apart, sanctified. So this this conference uh, was very providential for me, and I think it's going to be providential for you as well. It, It was exactly what my heart needed at that time especially with the, the excitement of the potential purchase of a building. Man, it gives us opportunities for more growth. and Think about more butts in the seats and all these kind of opportunities. But God calls us first to be holy, to be set apart, to be other, to be different. So we are going to be starting a new series specifically it's just going to be a short one on bearing fruit we came out of uh ephesians chapter one right where god it's the story of salvation of how god works in his economy to save us and we celebrated resurrection sunday a couple sundays ago and we celebrated what god has done in us and it's it's awesome to go yes and amen up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for its foes he have all that kind of stuff going on. But then a couple weeks later, we forget. Friends, He is still risen. And He has called us to be distinct. He wants us to be bearing fruit. A fruit that comes from a result of having true faith in Christ. John 15, 16 says this. We, We can hear Jesus say, I chose you that you should go and bear fruit. Jesus chose us. If you are in Christ, He chose us to bear fruit, to reproduce something. And friends, and this is going to be a hard statement for some of you to hear, if we aren't producing ourselves spiritually, if something is not ongoing in our life, if there's not growth in us in in holiness, Growth in producing fruit, we aren't actually following Jesus at all. Naturally, our lives will bear a visible fruit based off of what we love. A watching world should tell by your affections, your time, your words. What you love—it's true, isn't it? If you—if you look at my Facebook feed, my Twitter feed, if you listen to me closely, if you watch my life, if you look at my family checkbook, uh, my calendar, you will be able to tell exactly what I love. And it's true for you. So to kick off the series entitled "Move," we are going to be looking at what many consider to be one of the most unpopular fruits that we are called to reproduce in our lives. It is the fruit of repentance. And we have to start there. The fruit of repentance. So friends, would you open up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 1, we are going to read verses 1 through 17. I know we just got done with Romans, and I know uh, I originally had psalm 51 is my key verse right um do i not have it up there Um, but the oh oh sorry romans 8 verse 1 through 17 there is that better uh just stand (laughs) for the reading of god's word i have no idea why i said getting a little excited hear these words there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death for god has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. seated. So, when we hear words like repentance, when we hear words like repentance, some of us find ourselves immediately getting defensive, right? Because in your head, you're going, What is he going to touch that I enjoy? What, what is he going to be speaking about this morning that is going to offend me? Or sometimes we find ourselves, when we talk about repentance, we go, yeah, that's right. They, <laughs> those people over there, they got a lot of repentant to do. If you knew their, their personal life, their family life, those folks have a lot of work to do with Jesus. But me, I'm doing all right. Things are going pretty smooth. I have no problems going on. We find ourselves pointing fingers or maybe we find ourselves in total denial or living, maybe even we find ourselves living in darkness and this word repentance is really a word that we don't understand because maybe we ourselves are apart from Christ and not in Him. For many, repentance is is really an unpopular fruit. it, it feels self-deprecating, right? In a culture that is all about having a positive mental attitude. It's the, don't worry, be happy kind of culture. We see in the, even in the landscape of our own personal lives and even in our corporate lives as a church that confession and repentance are often quite absence, absent from our lives. Truly confessing and repenting. And repenting is the, we're going in this direction, and repentance says, I'm going the opposite direction. I've been going the way of the world, and now I am going towards Christ. That is, it is a 180. It is a change in direction. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, kind of strikes at the core. It says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put these deeds of the body to death, and you will do what? You'll live. Paul is kind of repeating what he's already said in Galatians chapter 6. He said, for for the one who sows to his own flesh, in other words, kind of tills the soil of my flesh, my desires all about me, my sinful nature, the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption, destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, friends, there there really are two ways to live. There's not three, there's not four, there's not, it's not a multiple, really a big multiple choice list. There are two outcomes, ways to live in this life. To live according to the flesh, your desires according to the world, to live according to the flesh will end in eternal death. That's option one. Or to live according to the Spirit will end in eternal life. Those are the two only options in this world. The world will say there's a bunch of other things. Other ways to live. But according to God, according to His Word, there are two ways. One that leads to eternal life and one that leads to eternal death. Charles Simeon put it this way. Either sin must become our enemy or God will. So this is serious business. Paul uses the word death here. Death is a very weighty word, isn't it? Some of us are farther along in our journey in life and we are going, it's getting closer. The reality is none of us know the day or time, right? Death is a weighty word. And it is in contrast to the life that is, is promised to those who set their, their minds on the things of the Spirit, who are by the Spirit putting to death the deeds, the things, the activities, the thoughts of, uh, of the body. Please note this. Paul did not say this. If you don't put, the deeds, put to death the deeds of the body, you will lose some rewards in heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Hey, it's all right. That sin, that sin that you like, that sweet one, it's all right. Don't, don't worry about it. You'll just lose a few rewards in heaven. He never said that. He didn't say that at all. He said exactly what he said. He said, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. If not, you will die. Paul wants us to have a real sense of urgency. He wants us to see the utter necessity of this. He wants us to see that life really is a war. It's a battle. As I've heard it said before, there really is a mean streak to the Christian life. Believe it. And there has to be a mean streak to your Christian life. Not like you being that nasty neighbor or the one who, you know, giving somebody the bird because they cut you off. Not that kind of mean streak, but a mean streak of killing sin in our lives. Being intentional and saying, I'm done with it. I hate sin. I hate it. It is killing me, and it will kill me. As John Owen, the great Puritan, has been known to be, have been said, he said, either be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. You might want to write that one down. It's a freebie. Either be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And friends, this is not just an earthly kind of death. You know, the kind of death that kills you through substance abuse or self-loathing kind of stuff. You know, this kind of stuff that just tires your soul or kills your body. But this is an eternal death that he speaks of. Paul says the same thing in, in Colossians 3. He says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now listen to this list. See if any of it applies. I know in a congregation like this, none of it would. But, you know, sexual immorality, impurity. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. I think that covers us. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked while you were living in them, but now you must put away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So in these warnings, Paul, Paul is following Jesus who, who said something like this in Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, do what? Tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members, your members, than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off? Throw it away! It sounds kind of gruesome, right? The Christian life is, has a mean streak. Throw it away, for it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. So maybe you're thinking, man, I, I thought if Christians were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, I thought we were eternally secure. After all, we we're reformed, right? presbyterian we we got to believe once saved always saved so how can we think paul how can jesus and paul both say that if we don't kill sin we will end up in hell friends it is why we have to allow tensions to exist in the bible we have to let the Bible be the Bible and not try to say, oh, well, he didn't really mean this and he really didn't mean that. There's this healthy tension that is always going on in Scripture. We've got to be willing to be pulled and stretched. This is, after all, this is eternity that we are dealing with. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Son of God, we've got to take it at its word let listen even to the westminster confession it says this i think i, I might have it up there yeah it's really tiny so sorry for those in the back as christ would have us to be absolutely convinced that there will be a day of judgment both due to detour men from sin And to give great consolation to the godly in their adversity, so will he have that day unknown to men that they will shake off all carnality security. In other words, fleshly things that make you feel safe and good. May always be watchful because they don't know when the hour, what hour the Lord will come. And may always be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. So to those here who who profess to know Christ, but show no evidence, be careful. Be careful. As R.C. Sproul has said, it is not the profession of our faith that saves but the possession of faith that does. Do you see the difference? It's easy to just let words come out of your mouth, and that's not what saves you. It's the actually possessing of faith that saves you. One of the most most frightening things that Jesus says is found in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Friends, those who truly know Christ, who possess faith, will always, always be pursuing in some kind of measure and always in an increasing measure. Yes, there's going to be seasons of up and down, but we will always pursue obedience to him, which means killing sin. John Piper explains it this way putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, the daily practice of killing sin in your life, is the result of being justified. And the evidence that you are justified by faith alone, apart from the works of law. So let let me read that again. Putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, killing those things, is the result of being justified. You kill sin because you are redeemed. False believers, on the other hand, can serve faithfully in ministry. They can look great on the outside. They have all, can have all the right lingo. They can be generous with their time, their talents, their treasures, but they are at home with sin. Piper goes on to say later in this sermon, if you are not at odds with sin, you are not at home with Jesus. Do I need to read that again? If you are not at odds with sin, you are not at home with Jesus. Not because being at odds with sin makes you at home with Jesus, but because being at home with Jesus makes you at odds with sin. Think about that. Being at home with Jesus, he he is your all. We sing about it all the time, right? The closer we get to Jesus, the more that we experience his love, his encouragement, his transformation in our life. The closer, the more we are at home with Jesus, the more we say to the world, the heck with you. I am done with that. This sin is killing me. I want to be a more alive and at home with my Christ, my Redeemer, my Savior. James Boyce of 10th Presbyterian Church puts it quite bluntly. Paul is saying if you live like a non-Christian, dominated by your sinful nature, rather than living according to the Holy Spirit, you will perish like a non-Christian. Because you are a non-Christian. Some of you are going, what did I sign up for today? Why did I come to church? But this is critical for your life in Christ, my friends. So for those of you who say you are a Christian, a life unchecked of unchecked sin leads to eternal life or eternal death that's what happens period however you want to work that out is fine but know this no matter this matter is no mere trifle no mere small matter to be left as for just kind of armchair discussion with friends It's not just a little thing that you talk about over coffee and just say, oh, what do you think about sin? What do you think about just me continuing in sin? It's not just a little discussion. This is either eternal death or eternal life that we're talking about here, friends. So will your faith on that last day, when you see Jesus face to face, on that day of great judgment, will your faith Save you. Make sure your faith is firmly set on Christ Jesus. Make sure that you know that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and that you are growing in holiness. Because if you are not, friends, your life is in peril. It is in danger. Remember, the wrath of God has come against these things. The wrath of God. And God is no just, he's just not the cranky neighbor next door. He's the one who spoke in Genesis 1 and 2, and everything came into existence. I don't have any neighbor like that He is the one who enabled Moses to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Parted it. Can you? Parted it. God did that. God brought about a flood and saved Noah as a judgment against the nations. He had to send Christ for you. Because there was no other way. Your moral attempts at goodness, God goes, are you serious? You're going to go on and sin in 50, you just got done sinning. You're going to say that's enough? No, I've got to, my wrath is against you and the only way to uh, appease my wrath is by giving my one and only son, my holy, perfect son for you so is there any hope this is like a big thing to be chewing on right now and some of you are going i'm not sure i'm saved i'm not sure i'm okay because i've got some sweet sins that i like martin luther wrote this in his preface to his commentary on Romans. He said this, The Holy Spirit assures us that we are children of God no matter how furiously sin may rage within us, so long as we follow the Spirit and struggle against sin in order to kill it. One more quote. John Owen said, if you are fighting sin, you are alive. Thank God, right? And he goes on to say, But if sin holds sway unopposed, you are dead, no matter how lively the sin makes you feel. Take heart, embattled saint. Friends, I plead with you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you no sin can ever be killed which has not already been killed at the cross go to christ run to christ flee to christ flee to the cross seek your refuge in him by faith and faith alone in Him. Run to Him. I am struggling with sin. I run to Christ. And then, First Timothy says, fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of, of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. So to make this as practical as I can, I'm not going to give you three points, I'm going to give you seven points of how to kill your sin. I'll put these out later on online, so if you just want to hear them now, it might be good. If you want to write them down, you're going to be writing furiously and miss the whole point. The first thing is, to kill sin, to mortify sin in your life is, number one, purpose to be godly and discipline yourself for that purpose. Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline. You must decide in your mind that my aim is to become a man or a woman of God so that my life will glorify the God who saves me. I am going to purpose my waking and sleeping times to that end. In light of that purpose, you have to make plans to not sin. Plan to not sin. Oh, it's going to sneak in. But make plans to not sin. Usually we fall into a pattern of living that is set up for sinning. Study yourself. Really get to know you. And, and work out a plan that cuts off every opportunity to sin. Maybe a good thing after church today is to come up with the list of sins and just say, This week, I'm going to kill those things. And I'm going to purpose to kill those things in my life. I'm going to be intentional. And if it's, so, if it's easy for you to be tempted to, to look at pornography, set up safeguards and accountability to keep you away from temptation. If you're tempted to drunk, drunkenness or drugs, Stay away from those people. Get away. Stay away from those places where you could fall. Discipline implies going against your immediate feelings and impulses for a higher goal. So friends, purpose yourself to be godly and work towards that goal. Secondly, kill sin at its root and it will not bear its deadly fruit. It's easy to shake a tree and kind of get rid of all those fruit and pick it up and just say "All right, we're going to throw this into the trash compactor and we're going to be done. All those things over there that that this fruit I'm going to throw away. But the problem is what is this tree going to do in its next season? It's going to bear fruit again. Kill the tree at its root in other words get down to the very heart of the issue you want to kill it at its root sin begins not at the fruit level it begins at the root level that's where it begins it begins in your heart and in your thoughts so if you cut it off there it will not grow any further kill it Get some really strong chemicals and kill that stuff with Roundup at its root so it dries up and cannot grow again. Friends, nobody commits adultery without first thinking about it. So when lust, greed, selfishness or pride pop into your mind, cut it off right there. I'm done with it. Roundup that. Don't entertain it. Third, Cry out to God for deliverance and take whatever action you must do to flee temptation. There's this this balance that is going on here. You trust God, but you also take action. Trust in Him and move. Psalm 50 says this. God says, Call upon me in your day of trouble and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Call on me. But the Spirit also inspired Paul to say in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from immorality. He also said, flee youthful lusts. Pray, trust, flee. Leave. Number four, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not on things of the flesh. Some of these things, start sounding very similar, but they're also very different. The things of the Spirit actually ref- ref- um, refer to the very wonderful, many wonderful truths and promises that God has revealed to us in Scripture. So set your mind on those things. The, the promises of God, the hope of God, His his sustaining work in your life. His mercy, His grace, His love. Set your mind on those things. Not on the things that are are fleeing and fainting and, and will lead you towards death. Set your mind on the beauty of the cross. The power of the cross. Set your mind. Think about those things. Every Sunday morning, what do we do? Give you some announcements. And the first thing that we do is have a moment where I say, Pray that God will open your eyes and your ears and your heart to behold His glory. To enjoy Christ. Help us to focus on Christ. And that's what this is is all about. Number, Number five. Spend time in the Word of God. It's often been said, either sin will keep you from the Word, or the Word will keep you from sin. Jesus defeated Satan when he was being tempted in the desert by how? Quoting the Word. Meditate on God's Word. Memorize God's Word. Some of you are amazing at memorizing Ricky Bobby, or The Office, or songs. Uh, and you could, you could do whole, a whole set, a whole album. You know the list of songs, how long it lasted, what year it came out, but you can't memorize or remember or recall any scripture. And you want to know why you struggle with sin? Because you can't kill it. Jesus said, listen, let me quote some scripture back to you, Satan. Friends, meditate, memorize God's word because you won't always have a Bible or a concordance handy in those moments of temptation. Number six, keep the cross in view at all times and deepen your love for Christ, your hatred for sin, and your desire to glorify God. The motive for killing sin is that the Son of God loved me and gave himself up for me. He did that for me. Therefore, I want to honor and glorify Him. The motive for killing sin is just not primarily to get rid of these frustrating problems in our life that are disrupting my life, my patterns and my joys. The reason for killing sin should be I want to honor God with all of me. Because of what he has done for me. So I'm killing these sins. And lastly, walk each day in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. A, a walk is a step by step process, it's a daily journey of walking towards Christ and with Christ. And you don't do that alone, my friends. You do that with brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a church purchased by Christ for the purpose of growing up into Christ, who is our head. We have a structure in ecclesiology. You have elders who oversee you, who are here to discipline you and encourage you and point you towards Christ. We do this together, and we walk by the Spirit together so that we do not carry out the desires of our flesh, That's what we do. And when we fall, when you fall, when I fall, what do we do? We get up and keep walking together by the power of Christ and with one another. So the indwelling Holy Spirit will give you power to kill your sin as you walk in dependence with him. So my, my last word is for those who are religious and regular, who love being a part of a Christian, nice, moral family, but are really not a friend of God, one who stubbornly chooses the things of this world over the things of God. My friend, you are hopeless. There's not a moral program that you can apply to your life to make this life any better. You are an enemy of God. And according to Scripture, God's Word, you are bound for eternal death. Attendance here at this church does not give you a free ticket to heaven. At all. Your sin will always destroy your life both in this time and for eternity. Your sin is always dangling this promise of happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction before you, but it is only bait. It is only bait into a trap which leads to eternal death. I want you to burn Paul's words into into your brain. If you are living according to the flesh, you will die. Satan tries to minimize the the serious nature of sin so that we just excuse it as no big deal. Well, I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I always struggle with this. Don't we all struggle with this? Don't allow sin to become this thing that you tolerate as normal or don't even try to repackage it as a good thing. Friend, turn to Jesus. Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Be honest about who you are. That you are a sinner. Under the wrath of God. Recognize the filthiness of your sin and the holiness of our God. Recognize that. Recognize that Christ died for you a sinner. He died for liars. He died for the sexually immoral. He died for the sexually confused. He died for those who are sexually active outside of Christian marriage. He died for the ardent atheist who gives God the middle finger. He dies for all those people. He died for respectable men and women and children who know nothing of God but just of morality. My friends, you owe God your everything. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He sent His own Son to bear the awful penalty for our sin so that we no longer fear the wrath and the condemnation of God. We now belong to Him and we owe to Him our everything. Friends, turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to the cross of wood. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame. Bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Friends, for us to bear fruit, we must repent. And we as a church must become professionals at repentance. Corporately, in family units, and personally. We are repenting of sin constantly. As God bears light in our life, we flee from the darkness. We repent. And there's nothing more powerful than repenting out loud. Confess your sins to one another, James says. Confess. So friends, turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Run to God. And you will find Him with His arms wide open. Amen? Let's pray.